Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Thank you, Aaron. We are starting a series this morning. I was looking back over my sermon history, and it seems that I preach a series on the church about every four years or so. It's not necessarily planned, but it's just the way it's worked out, and the last one has now been five years ago. There has, of course, been the occasional sermon on the church as we work our way, for example, through an epistle and a section deals with the church, but I'm talking about a, an actual full-blown series of four or more weeks on the church. It's something I only do every four years or so, and I don't think that's too much. After all, it should be important that we understand the nature of the organization to which we are giving our time, our resources, our volunteer and service, and all of those things. In fact, given what we've gone through over the last couple of years and continue to struggle with, I think a series on the church is essential. In fact, the plan for this morning was for this to be a Sunday when we urged everyone to return, and thus I was starting a series on the church. Of course, the Omicron virus has derailed those plans, and so we've not pushed that but we're still doing the series on the church. As you know, with the rise of COVID over the last few years has come the rise of distant church or virtual worship. We have been pleased to offer that as an option, something that we've never done before, but thankfully, right about the time the virus hit, or actually a few months before that, we had some new members join us who had the expertise in doing this, and so they quickly volunteered to help us get online, and we've been doing that for nearly two years now and continue to do that, and I am grateful that we've been able to offer that given the circumstances that we've had to deal with. But along with that comes all kinds of questions about church. Do we really need to go to church? Do we have to go to church? I mean, when I can get countless live stream services in the comfort of my own home, why should I go to the trouble of coming to church? In fact, I've heard people say, I'm not missing anything. In fact, I'm getting more because during COVID, I'm not just attending one worship service in person. I'm actually listening to or watching multiple services virtually. And let's be honest, it was kind of nice watching a service with a cup of coffee in our pajamas in the comfort of our own home. For once, we got to pick the music. For once, we got to pick the sermon, because if we didn't like what we were watching in a particular service that we had chosen, hundreds or thousands of other services were just a mouse click away. And so whether you realize it or not, or whether you've consciously thought about it or not, the last two years have challenged our idea of what constitutes a church. 
The real spiritual people among us will say, well, the church has never been a building. The church has always been the people, which qualifies as one of those spiritual statements that has some truth embedded into it, but the ramifications of what they're really saying might just turn out to be unbiblical. And by that I mean what the statement is often used to state or imply is that there is no reason to meet together in a particular place. I'm the church. You're the church. We're all the church. And so it doesn't matter whether we're gathered with a couple of hundred people or whether we're sitting at home alone in our living room. We are still the church. But is that the picture that the New Testament paints? Others have long said, and their numbers will no doubt grow during this pandemic, that the church is an irrelevant institution at best, a hypocritical and corrupt organization at worst. And so more and more are turning their back on the church, but not their faith. They still believe in Jesus and are mostly convinced that they are going to heaven when they die. They simply don't have any desire for the church. This, this trend is clearly seen in the vast difference between the number of professing people who have taken the step of joining a local church versus the number of people who actually attend that church on any given Sunday. So that whether they articulate it or not, they are proclaiming that the gathered church, at least for them, has no relevance I don't need to go to church. I've got Jesus, and that is all I need. Now, I'm confident I said many times growing up in a home where we went to church three times a week. I'm confident I said many Sunday mornings, do we have to go? I mean, do we have to go again? We just went last week or last Wednesday, and we expect children to make these kinds of statements but I really don't expect those kinds of statements or thoughts in the hearts and minds of those who claim to believe and love Jesus. So this morning we are going to start, as you have guessed, a series of four weeks on the church, but I want to do it from a positive standpoint as best I can, given the low numbers that are among us, it's going to be difficult, but I'm gonna try. I'm going to try to be positive and talk not about the excuses that we make for not going to church, but talk about the reasons, the benefits, the blessings that we get when we do go to church. And in fact, we're going to learn this morning that it's not just about do I have to go to church? Do I need to go to church? But we're going to see this morning that we ought to be glad to go to church. That's our title this morning. We are looking at one verse, Psalm 122 and verse 1. Now, I say we're looking at one verse. We're actually going to look at several others as we go through this, so keep your Bibles open. I am not a one-verse preacher. I need more material than that. I'm not Calvin or Spurgeon. I can't take a few words and speak on them for 45 minutes. But we're going to start Psalm 122 and verse 1, where the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Now, before I get to the reasons, there are going to be six of them, although I could give many others. But these six reasons for us being glad to go to church, I need to acknowledge what some of you are already thinking. And that is clearly this is a classic case of preaching to the choir. That's a phrase that we use to speak of someone speaking on a topic with which the audience already agrees. That is, you're trying to convince the audience of something that they already agree with. And so you are the ones who are here this morning, so you clearly must acknowledge that there are some benefits, there are some reasons for coming to church. Or perhaps you're thinking to yourself, maybe he's just preaching to the millions who are watching online, or the millions who will watch later this afternoon. That's a joke, of course. That's ministerial speaking, where we exaggerate the number of people who are here or listening online. But I would never preach a sermon just for those who are watching online. My sermons are always directed at those of you who are here in person. So I recognize for some, this will be merely a reinforcement of what you already believe. And that's fine. Important truths do need to be reinforced occasionally. The first of the year is a time that we often reevaluate what we do and why we do it. And sometimes we not only reevaluate, but we change our priorities. So it's okay for us to take the beginning of the year and rethink why it is we go to church. After all, some of you, though the rest of us may not know it, some of you may be silently rethinking whether or not going to church is of any value to you. You're here this morning or watching online, but you're on the fringe of dropping out all together. Still others might be in the all too common position of being fully committed to the church and to Christ in your own life, but filled with grief and perhaps even regret that you have children or grandchildren who do not share that commitment. And if that's you, I want to arm you with some information that you can use to positively talk to them about why they need to be in church as a professing believer in Christ. And then again, there are some of you, some watching right now, who may be wondering or questioning whether you're ever going to attend church in person again. This sermon is for all of you that I've just mentioned. Well, with that being said, let's get to these six reasons why we should be glad to go to church. The first is we ought to be glad to go to church in order to worship the Lord. This is a psalm, and it is a psalm of David, and more specifically, it is a psalm of ascent, meaning that this is one of the psalms they would have used as they were ascending to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. They would have been singing this psalm or others like it as they gathered to worship. And so David is filled with joy. He is praising God. He is talking in verse 4 about giving thanks to God. He is seeking the peace and security of the city and of the people. And in verse 6 he says, these are the people who love you, speaking of loving God all of which falls into the category of worshiping the Lord, which is clearly what is going on in this psalm. Now, I want to be very clear that I understand that worshiping God is not an exclusive thing 
when it comes to the gathered church. And what I mean by that is clearly you and I can worship God in other places, in other venues. It is not the exclusive thing of the gathered church. So I know that you can indeed worship God on the golf course. Although in all of my years on the golf course, I'm not sure I've seen the worship of God. I've seen the opposite a lot of times, but I'm not sure I've seen the worship of God. I know, I know, you say, I can worship God in the woods while I'm killing defenseless animals or hiking. I'm, ki I'm kidding about the defenseless animals. I'm okay with hunting. I know you say I can worship in the woods, and you can. I know you can worship at home. I know you can worship in small groups. I know you can worship anytime, anywhere, but none of that comes at the exclusion of the worship of the gathered people of God, meaning that, yes, all of those other things are appropriate, but none of them override the worship of God's people as they gather together as the church. And that is what David is expressing in this psalm. And it ought to, be, ought to be our desire as well. A gladness in gathering together as the people of God in order to worship the Lord. Now, we've talked about that before, so I'm going to be very quick on that one and move to our second reason. Our second reason we should be glad to come to church is, that so, that, is so that we can obey God. There is a much debated question. I'm not sure why it's much debated. I don't think it should be. But there is a much debated question about this. Is it necessary? Do we have to go to church in order to be a Christian? Now, I suppose the emphasis is on have to. And so when some say, do you have to go to church in order to be a Christian? They say, oh, absolutely not. After all, we are saved by grace through faith without any mixture of works. And therefore, you cannot add anything to being a Christian, including going to church. But perhaps the focus should not be on the phrase have to, but on the issue of are we glad to? And if we're not glad to, then we ought to be asking ourselves, why not? Why, as a professing Christian, am I not glad to gather with the people of God? So I know, technically speaking, you do not have to go to church in order to be a Christian. It, it is not a requirement for salvation. But it is, as we will see later, an expression of our salvation, and it is in obedience to God. Now, the classic text for this is Hebrews chapter 10. And so I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 23 and following. This will not be on the screen. So turn there in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. And I'll read these verses for us. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, clearly this is a command. We are not to neglect the meeting together as some in that day were in the habit of doing, and many in our own day are continuing in that habit. But instead, we are to encourage one another as we gather, 
which is actually going to be my next point. Now, of course, you might conclude, all things being equal, sure, when there's nothing else going on, I'm happy to meet together. When I don't have anything more pressing, when I'm not busy, when I don't have more entertaining options than going to church, then I am happy to get together. But when I have other things, then those other things are going to take precedence. Now, in light of our current situation and the thinking about our current situation, I want you to see the context in which this command to obey God, this is clearly a command to obey God by meeting together. I want you to see the context in which this was issued. So you still have your Bibles open. Look at verse 32 of this same chapter. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, these were folks who were gathering together in spite of suffering. In spite of persecution, in spite of their property being plundered because they were identified with Christ, none of these things stopped them because they wanted to gather together with the people of God to worship God and to be obedient to the command of God. They were submitting to the authority of the Word of God in spite of their circumstances rather than the other way around. And their obedience to God was in spite of difficulties. They continued to praise God and honored Him. I saw some numbers this past week. I'm not sure if they were accurate. I didn't do the, the background to, to make sure they were, but they rang true with me. In other words, from my own experience, I, I think they are true. It said 70% of Americans identify as Christians, and yet only 30% attend church on a regular basis. 70% say they are Christians, but only 30% attend church on a regular basis, and that is a stunning gap, especially given the fact that the definition of what it means to be a regular church attender has been drastically reduced over the years. As I said earlier, I grew up in a home where we went to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Now, even then, the definition of a regular church attender was probably not that high, but it was probably twice a week. But now, the, the accepted definition of a regular church attender is not someone who attends twice a week, but someone who, attend, uh, who attends twice a month. Someone who attends twice a month is regarded as a regular church attender in spite of the fact that that's less than I attended in a given week when I was growing up. And so the gap is extremely high. As I've said before, we have over 2,000 members of this church, probably closer to 2,300, though I don't know exactly because, frankly, I do not track that number because it is a useless number. Some 2,300 members or thereabouts. And I have in my notes that we would be happy to have 500 people here today, but i got to change that. Because now, I'm going to be happy to have 400 people here today. A mere one-fifth of our membership might be here today. 
And that doesn't even include the visitors that we have who are not members who make the gap even bigger than we think. But I said I would remain positive, and believe me, I'm trying. My point is simply that attending church should be a glad thing to do because it obeys God. It should please us to want to please the Lord. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I'm preaching nothing but legalism at this point. But I'm not. I'm preaching obedience. Legalism is the belief that your obedience wins you salvation. That is not what I'm preaching. But let's not go to the other extreme and think that the commands of God are something that doesn't matter and we don't have to obey. We're not saved by obeying the commands of God, but we're still called to obey those commands. The third reason we are to be glad to go to church is to encourage spiritual growth. Remember last week I talked about the passions that we ought to have, and one of those passions was a passion for progress in our spiritual lives, and that simply cannot happen, at least not to maximum capacity, without the gathered church supporting one another and encouraging one another and fellowshipping with one another. Again, this is not to the exclusion Meaning I know that you can grow spiritually on your own, but the danger in in individual spiritual growth is that it can be skewed or one-sided or can easily become unbalanced. And that is why we need each other. And again, we'll talk about that more about that in a future sermon. We need the preaching and teaching ministry of the church to help us grow. But don't miss the idea that the opposite is also true. And by that I mean not only do you need the preaching and teaching ministry of the church in order to grow, but other people in the church need your ministry in order for them to grow as well. Again, we are so individualistic. We say, I don't need the church to grow spiritually. There are plenty of online resources and books through which I can grow just fine. And even if I grant that that is true, which I am not granting absolutely, I would still say that we need one another because you might be missing the fact that others need you in order to grow spiritually. It is a mutual responsibility, which is exactly what I pray every time someone comes and joins this church and I have the privilege of welcoming them. I always pray the same thing. I pray that they would grow spiritually as a result of them being a part of this church. And I also pray that the church would grow because of their participation here. It is a mutual responsibility that is involved here. It's right here in the text that we read just a moment ago. We are to stir one another up and encourage one another, both of which are mutual responsibilities. We did a Sunday night series years ago about the one another's in the New Testament. All those passages where it talks about how we are to relate to one another within the body of Christ. And in this Hebrews text that I read, there are two of those one another's. And we cannot fulfill these one another commands with other believers unless we are involved with other believers. It is an obedience issue. We have to be among the body of Christ in order to fulfill the one another commands on a regular basis. And yet we have it so ingrained in us that we don't need other people. I have been in countless homes of senior adults who clearly physically need other people's help. And yet they won't accept it because they're stubborn and individualistic. And they say, I don't need anything. My grandmother lived on her own 
until her death at 101 years of age. She lived in her home in the city of Atlanta, Georgia, by herself the last decade or so of her life after my grandfather passed away. When she was 100, someone, we don't know who, signed her up for Meals on Wheels without her knowledge. The first time they came to the door, she in no uncertain terms told them that she had no need of their service, that she could provide for herself and she wanted them to take that meal to someone else who had a greater need than she did. You know, we tend to do that spiritually. We take that stubbornness that many of us have and say, I don't need other people to grow spiritually. And yet, a quick read of the New Testament epistles reveals the opposite. The apostles were willing to admit that they needed the church. And they certainly understood that the church needed them. And so we ought to be glad to come to church so that we could grow spiritually and be a part of helping others grow spiritually as well. Now, Ralph Pollard, who's sitting right there, has long wanted me to include him in some aspect in one of my sermons. But he's wanted me to do it positively, and that's been the hard part. But I finally found a way to do it. Ralph has a saying. Ralph says often, if I'm going to go to the trouble of getting up and getting dressed and getting out, someone's going to know about it. And what he means by that is he's going to make his presence known when he gets somewhere if he's gone to all the trouble of getting there. Well, if I could adapt that just a little bit and change it to the spiritual needs of those in the body of Christ, and I would say to us, if we're going to go to all the trouble of getting up on a Sunday morning, getting dressed and getting out to church, then maybe we ought to try to encourage someone and help someone else grow while we're here so that they know we've been here. So we ought to be glad to come to church so that we can grow spiritually. The fourth reason we should be glad to come to church is so that we can fellowship with other believers. The most common verse here to articulate this point, I'm not gonna turn there, is Acts chapter two and verse 42. There it says of the infant church that they were together and they were breaking bread and having fellowship and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, something we'll talk about in the future. Fellowship, we're going to talk about that as well. That'll be our topic in the third week. But I want to turn to a passage instead, not Acts chapter 2, but Romans chapter 15, perhaps a, a lesser known text. If you'll turn there quickly, I know we're running out of time, but I want to highlight at least a few verses here. I would planned on reading the first seven verses, but uh, I want to skip down at this point. And just read uh, verses 5 through 7. Romans 15, verse 5. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, the context of this particular passage is the whole debate between the weaker and mature believers in the church. That is, there was, there was disagreement on certain things about what they could and could not do. The weaker brothers and sisters not being sure they were allowed to do something where the mature brothers and sisters were saying, no, you can do that. And there, there in this debate comes that principle of, of not doing something and causing someone else to stumble. And so here again, we see this mutual, mutual responsibility that I talked about earlier. But in these latter verses that I've just read, Paul tells them to live in harmony with one voice glorifying God. And the whole phraseology here speaks of fellowshipping one with another. 
Now, fellowship is a word that we use within the church to mean more than just socializing. We are almost finished renovating our fellowship hall, which is probably not a good name for it. It's traditionally been called a fellowship hall in Baptist churches, but the reason I say it is probably not a good name for it is because we tend to eat in there, and so fellowship hall tends to be associated with a meal. Now, granted, fellowship can occur around a meal, but it is so much more than that. We socialize around other things. That's why when you travel all over the world, if you happen to see a fellow Tennessee fan anywhere in the world with a power T on them, and so you know they're a Tennessee fan, you'll go up and speak to them. Even though you are total strangers, you will go up to speak to them, and they will likely receive you graciously because you have this in common. You have a, a love for a particular team. We socialize around shared interests or even careers or hobbies, but our fellowship is not around these things. Our fellowship is anchored in our relationship with Christ. And this fellowship is essential for a, a host of reasons. Again, we'll get to those in week three. But for now, in these verses, verses five through seven, there is no way to fulfill what is called for here without being an active part of the church. You cannot follow these commands in these verses without attending church with fellow believers. In fact, this is all over the New Testament. Active involvement in a local body of believers makes up a large percentage of the material in the epistles of the New Testament. Now, I know some will say that they don't need the church, but they must be reading a different New Testament than I am, or they're not reading the New Testament at all. I know some have been hurt by the fellowship of the church. I know some have been disappointed by the leadership of the local church. But again, the vast majority of the material directed at the church in the New Testament is about how we are to get along with one another in spite of our sin within the body of Christ. And nowhere does it say to forsake the fellowship of the church. In all of the cases that it talks about it, it's talking about how we are to work with one another in the body of Christ, not that we should forsake one another and abandon the body of Christ. And again, we're going to do a whole sermon on that, so we'll move forward. The fifth reason we should be glad to go to church is really, it really should have been the first reason, and it really can be the only reason. I mean, this one reason really answers all the questions and all the debates and objections, at least for those who claim to love and desire to follow Jesus, which is who I'm talking to. I want you to understand I'm not talking to an unbeliever. I fully understand that an unbeliever has no desire to come to church. I fully understand that an unbeliever has many other things that they want to do on Sunday that they believe are far better uses of their time than going to church. I have no problem with that. The desire to come to church only comes after conversion because God has a way of changing our desires and priorities. And so every believer ought to be glad to come to church so that we follow the example of Jesus. That's right, Jesus went to church, and so should you, if you're one of his. Now, I understand that when Jesus went to church, it wasn't called church. He went to the synagogue, and I realized that he didn't go on Sunday. He went on Saturday, because that was the Sabbath, and the day of worship was not changed until after his resurrection. In fact, it was changed because of his resurrection. 
But the truth remains that the practice of Jesus and his apostles was that they were in the synagogue for worship on the Sabbath day. Luke 4 and verse 16 says, speaking of Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And listen to this phrase. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So not only do we see stories of Jesus being in the synagogue, not only do we hear him teaching in the synagogue, but here we find a direct statement that it was his custom that on the Sabbath he was in the synagogue. No matter where he was, no matter where he was traveling, he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, a practice that we see continued by his apostles in the early portions of Acts before they were run out of said synagogues. It is a simple truth. If we claim to believe in and follow Jesus, then we ought to have a desire to do the things that he did. And without a doubt, one of the things he did was that he was in the Sabbath for worship of God every week. So if you're committed to Christ, you should be committed to the things that he was committed to. And need I say, best I can tell from the New Testament, Jesus was fairly busy. So if your excuse is, I'm too busy, I think you ought to rethink that excuse. Because my guess is Jesus is busier than you are. And yet he prioritized the worship of his father. And if it was important to him, it should be important to those of us who claim to know him. Lastly, one final reason, although again, I, I could keep going. We ought to go to church to demonstrate eternal life. Now, listen to me very clearly here. I am not saying that going to church gives you eternal life. That is works salvation. I am not saying that going to church guarantees you eternal life if you have attended a certain percentage of the time. I'm not saying that you can be assured of your salvation if you're at the 75 percentile or whatever. That is not what I'm saying. I am simply saying what I believe the Bible says, and that that is going to church is one indicator. There are others, but it is one indicator that you have eternal life. The little epistle of 1 John, an epistle that Jake Honeycutt began teaching through this past Wednesday night in youth group, is a letter that deals with the genuine marks of salvation. So if you're, if you're at a stage in your life where you're wondering if you're really saved or not, 1 John is an excellent letter for you to read. Because there are multiple tests, and I put that in quotations, but multiple tests to try to determine if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ and thus possess eternal life. And here is one of them. It's found in chapter 3 and verse 14. John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. That is, we have eternal life. We know that we have passed from death into eternal life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, you might be quick to add, but that says nothing about going to church. It just talks about loving the brothers, which is a word that means fellow believers. But isn't it true that we want to be around those we love? That is, if we love the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, 
We would want to be around them. We would desire to be in the company of those we love. And that would include, though again, it's not exclusive, but it would include the gathered church. I mean, if you don't understand that principle, look at any couple that has been dating and they are on the verge of getting married. Or look at any couple that is newly married. They have a desire to be with one another. They will go uh, across obstacles. They will set aside other things. They make it a priority to be with one another because they are in love. And so if you and I love fellow believers, then it is naturally going to be the case that we desire and even delight to be with them. Still not convinced? Well, John gives us the opposite as well. We were in chapter 3 with that statement. In chapter 2, he says this. They went out from us, talking about those who had left the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So in this small letter of 1 John, in these two letters, two chapters of that small letter, he gives us both sides. A professing believer who abandons the church is giving evidence. I'm not saying it's, it's cut and dry. I'm saying he's giving evidence of a lack of eternal life. And the opposite is also true. That is a professing believer who delights in going to church is giving evidence. Again, it's not foolproof, but it is one indicator among others that they possess eternal life, that we are demonstrating eternal life. I well remember in the seminary that I attended, the president and the founder of that seminary, often holding the door for us as we entered the chapel for our daily chapel service. It wasn't every day, but many days he would stand there holding the door. And sometimes as we passed, he would just say, Psalm 84:10." Now, not having the Bible memorized at that point in my ministry, the first time he said that, I had to go look it up. Psalm 84:10 says this, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now that's being glad to go to church. I'll give you one more reminder. That famous passage in Ephesians, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Paul answers that question. In that very same passage, he said he gave himself for her. Christ shed his blood for the church, establishing the worth and importance of the church, both now and forevermore. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we do have the health to get up and go to church. And Lord, you know that I've not been speaking this morning to those who physically cannot come. I know there are some who, who physically simply can't come, and, and that is not who I've been talking to this morning. But thank you that we do have the ability to get up and come to church. May you give us the desire to not just come, but to come gladly. For all these reasons that we've mentioned and many more, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond.